internet marketers hate leaving their basement. <laughs> and they'll, they're mu- they're, they'd be much happier sending <laughs> 10,000 emails than they would getting on the phone or going out into the real world. And so yeah, if you yeah. go out into the real world, there's this natural moat where like 99% of people aren't willing to do that. And so I ended up going out into the real world first, figure, you know, hanging out with my actual customers and then turning that all into an online product. And from there, it ended up taking off. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back. Let's just another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me guest Tommy Griffith. Now, Tommy has been in the SEO business and doing SEO uh, search engine optimization for more than 10 years. He was previously the manager of SEO at both PayPal and Airbnb and now runs his own company called ClickMinded, a digital marketing training platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. Tommy started ClickMinded as a side project while working full-time at Airbnb. He grew it until it started generating more revenue than his annual salary. Two years ago, he quit Airbnb to go full-time and work on it, ran into a number of problems and trying to figure out how to grow the business from there. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation of grassroots and there's some incredible marketing tips that will help you to build, launch, and test a, a product or project or training before you go live. So I'd like to welcome Tommy to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Tommy, super excited to have you on the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Yeah, Doug, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting show. I uh, looked at your background, your bio. Um, I have to say that your website is very impressive. I like the way you've set it up. It's fairly marketing focused. It looks like that you're interested in generating business, which is I'm sure what you do for your clients as well. Yeah, we um, our, our site design has been uh, an interesting combination of both like we're trying to be helpful from a digital marketing perspective and we really love like being clowns and using gifts and things like that. So it's this, my friends that have checked out this, I make fun of me and they're just like, are you serious? Like, why do you like, there's a, there's a gif of a, of a little girl eating cereal and crying. How is this, how is this serious? Like who takes your business seriously? But we, we try and straddle that line between teaching digital marketing and, uh, and having fun with it, you know? Well, I'll have to look for that one. As I mentioned to you before, I, I'm really impressed with the uh, the flaming, the guy whose hair flames on and the ele- lightning bolts come up as he's uh, screaming on the sidelines. Uh, the Mexican uh, soccer coach, Super Saiyan GIF. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a classic. <laughs> so do you want to walk us back, you know, just a little bit of history uh, and your background? I mean, you came from a number of very successful, well-known brands and you decided, hey, at some point in your life that this isn't uh, the way I want to continue and I want to go off and do, uh, you know, kind of do my own thing. So, you know, what did that look like for you when you were, you know, still working at Airbnb and PayPal and, and those companies which you started to have these thoughts? Yeah, so backing up to the beginning, I guess my story started by reading that book by Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Are you familiar with that book? <laughs> yeah, that wrecked me. <laughs> it wrecked you, really? How so? I, I disseminated all my local staff and all my staff were remote. 
There you go. Yeah. It's so fascinating talking to entrepreneurs about what kind of impact that book had. That I mean, that was like the, what's that saying? Like the butterfly flapping its wings on the other side of the world, like causes a tsunami somewhere else. <laughs> that book really yeah. did cause a lot of tsunamis. Yeah. So for, for the uninitiated or anyone who hasn't read it, this book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Workweek, I think it was written in like 2007 or 2008, maybe. And I'd say it's, it might be fairly out of date now, but the general premise behind it is still really good. It was kind of the catalyst for a lot of people to build remote businesses, hire remote staff, travel while you work kind of stuff. And I graduated right at the height of the recession in the US. The banks were crashing. I had a finance degree, couldn't find a job, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was reading this book in a hammock and, <laughs> and it's one of the recommendations in it would said, you know, create an informational product. If you have a particular set of knowledge that other people might not have, um, it's a little bit harder to copy that than if you create a physical product like and you outsource it to another country. It's just easier to copy those things. So I had this weird experience in university. I don't know if these are as popular in Canada, but uh, I, I started in university. I started a fraternity with some friends of mine. Did you do you have those in in Canada? I don't know if you yep. I don't know if you went to school in Canada, but I did I did go to school, but I did not go to college, so I can't answer that. I don't know. Okay, okay. So it's this just really obnoxious social group, and we ended up starting a fraternity, and it kind of started as a joke. And by the time I graduated, there were a hundred people in it, and <laughs> and so reading the Four Hour Workweek got interested in internet marketing, and I used the Google AdWords keyword planner, and it turns out that one thousand five hundred people a month were searching for how to start a fraternity. And so I wrote this very dorky 60-page ebook on how to start a fraternity and said, okay, how do I get this to the top of Google? How do I get this ranking number one for how to start a fraternity? I started selling the book for $10. Nobody bought it. I dropped the price to $5. Nobody bought it. And then I increased the price to $47. And 250 people ended up buying it. And so that was... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So that was kind of my first step into internet marketing. I re got really excited about it. And then um, I ended up starting a business with a friend of mine shortly after this that failed miserably. I was 23 years old. I was in this situation where I my parents paid for university. I was very blessed. And I graduated from college with no debt. And I ended up putting myself into debt trying to start this business. So a friend of mine and I, we were overseas, we we're in Taiwan, and we decided to start a medical tourism facilitation company, which is super random. <laughs> but the basic idea was we got interested in SEO, and, and the idea was this was sort of taking off at the time, but, but people that couldn't afford certain surgeries in the US, they were looking overseas for certain medical care. And we found that Taiwan, for whatever reason, was really, really good with knee and hip replacement surgery. And so these procedures in the US, we were focusing on 45 to 65 year old Americans in the US that were that were doing these knee and hip replacement surgeries. They were they were 40 to $60,000. And uh, in Taiwan, they're about $10,000. And so, you know, we we borrowed money from family and friends. We tried to learn internet marketing, do all this stuff, and it just failed miserably. We worked on it for about a year. I put myself in all this debt, and we just had to shut it all down. And I came home, tail between my legs, like knocking on the door, you know, hey, mom, hey, dad, like, <laughs> remember me? <laughs> Is there know. room on the couch kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. But I guess the upside was I, I learned internet marketing. I spent a year learning SEO and, and, and paid, paid advertising. And it was just kind of right place, right time. PayPal was hiring um, an SEO manager. I ended up moving out to getting the job pretty quickly. 
and moving out to to California for it. And it was just this weird situation. I was like out of money in Taiwan on the couch, like absolutely miserable trying to get this business to work. I kind of waved the white flag and gave up. And a month later, I was 24 years old and managing SEO at one of the biggest websites in the world, which is kind of this weird experience. And that was the next phase of, of my life. I uh, spent two years managing search engine optimization at PayPal, and then four years managing search engine optimization at Airbnb. And on the side, during the time, I started my current business now, which is ClickMinded. My basic... I. I was trying a lot of different ideas, trying to pay off this debt I had incurred for myself with the original <laughs> startup idea. And, <laughs> yeah. and ClickMiner was not the first idea. It was probably idea number 15. But I ended up you know, working on it on the side, been working on it the entire time while working at these big companies. A few years in, it ended up eclipsing my salary. And then two years ago, I decided to go full time on it. That's amazing. I mean, there's so many people that don't pull the trigger and good for you also for having the patience to, you know, to build the side hustle. I, I kind of took the opposite approach after being in the workplace for a little while. I thought, you know, I'm going to start a company, did a little bit of research. And then when the opportunity was there, I just resigned and off I went and freaked out my family, freaked out my in-laws. Like, how can you do that? How can you leave this good job? How can you do this? It's like, I don't like that. Yeah, but it pays well and it has a pension. It's like, yeah, so what? <laughs> I don't like the people I work with. Interesting. So, <laughs> so how, how much yeah. of a running start did you have when you when you pulled the trigger? Not much. Really? Like, yeah, like seriously, not much at all. I just said, you know what? You know, I had done well. I was making good money at the job. But, you know, I was... Um, the point where I was engaged to get married and went, no, nah, I'm out of here. I'm just, I'm just quitting this. I'm just quitting this job. And I went to school and did for a totally different thing. And I uh, just launched, launched a business from basically some pretty limited resources and some pretty limited experience. Well, you're braver than me. And, and you're, some, it, some might say stupid, but you know, <laughs> that's up to interpretation. Stupid, brave, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. And you were engaged too. Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild. Yeah, well, that's the way it is. I mean, the, people make a lot of excuses, I find, for not moving forward with their goals, whatever they are, whether, it, whether it's their business goals or their health goals. And, you know, it's, oh, I don't have enough money. Well, you know, you know, when is this situation ever going to be perfect in your life to take that step? You know, at least in my experience, there's never a perfect time. There's always something that's, you know, distracting you or in your way. For sure. Yeah, that's a really good point, Doug. My, my friends that are having kids now all say that like the when uh, apparently I don't have kids, but uh, apparently when you whenever you decide to have kids, it's like you're never ready sort of thing. Or the, the yep. other analogy I heard was uh, it's like it's like trying to plan a cross country road trip and waiting for all the lights to be green before you even start. <laughs> right. Like It's just kind of that's kind a, of ridiculous. That's a great example. I yeah. think it's interesting, too, because for me. And I found this, this was all in hindsight. This wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to realize this at the time, but being miserable and in debt is like the single greatest force in human nature, <laughs> right? Like it was so motivating for me, especially because I'd caused the problem for myself. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't in like bad circumstances or had a bad family or like the system wasn't chewing me up. Like I made a decision to start a business. I failed and lost a bunch of money. I was in debt and I, I had to get out of it. And that was a huge motivator for me. And it's really interesting because I had a number of friends along the way in building this side project. You know, once it started to get a little, um, a little escape velocity and start to, to take off a bit, I had friends that would say, you know, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to do that too. I want to do this. I want to do that. But like the more comfortable they were, 
the less likely they were to take the leap, right? Like the better your job is, the better the money is, the more like the more happy you are with your friends. Yeah. The the less likely you are to to jump, right? And so I found that like being miserable and in debt was actually the 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 biggest sort of uh kind of motivator I had to to pull the trigger. Well, and good for you. I mean, I, I volunteered with a program that was put on by one of our colleges called the Self-Employment Program. And it was really designed as a as a government-assisted program to help people transition into starting their own business. So there was a requirement for people to apply. It was a stringent process. They had to write a business plan. And then I was on the local advisory committee. So I'd read these three to five business plans every five weeks. And there was a bunch of us that did that. And we'd decide who got approved and who didn't. But what was interesting was the were the ebbs and flows of the number of applicants. And the better the economy was, the least amount of applicants we had. As soon as the economy sucked, the worse the economy got, the more people that lost their jobs decided to start a business. And I couldn't figure out why wouldn't you want to start a business in a booming economy? But people waited until they were forced out and they really had no other choice. And so they were launching businesses in the worst economy possible. Mm, Interesting. That's fascinating. Like you said, you're, you're, you're comfortable. So you're, you know, you don't need to jump. Right. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. That's such an interesting data point. So how did you take what you learned, you know, in the four hour work week? Obviously, it's not a, you know, a guaranteed success book, but there's some principles there. I think that like you mentioned, you can apply. So how did you take those principles and, you know, and, and apply them to your business? Yeah, so I would actually say, I mean, there's been a number of sort of teachers and mentors and blog posts and people I follow on Twitter that have been like more help, more <laughs> helpful along the way. I think the the four hour work week was the yeah the the start of the tsunami that butterfly flapping its wings that that got a lot of people going. But some of the big ones for me, you know, I found it really interesting this this whole idea around your own personal interest in the project, right? So like I mentioned before, you know, ClickMinded now, this well, we're now on year eight, right? It's very healthy six-figure business. I actually recently wrote a blog post uh, posting all the revenue numbers and all that if you want to check it out. But uh, we have a, you know, I have a small team of five. We've expanded to eight different courses. We're, we're, we're being used with, you know, Fortune 500 companies now, which has been great. But it all started in-person SEO courses and in-person, in-person SEO training in San Francisco. I would rent out a co-working space on Saturday mornings with just two or three people and uh, would physically teach in person, kind of nine to five, all you can SEO. I would just like bring in entrepreneurs and marketers and we would nerd out on their website and try and figure out how to get them more traffic. Right? <laughs> but but this was like, like I mentioned before, this was kind of idea number 15. And I was trying a number of different side projects to try and pay off this debt I had caused for myself. And there was this funny example, you know, of one where, okay, I had this one idea for an iPhone app development lead generation site. So the idea was like, okay, it was 2011. I was in San Francisco and iOS development was really taking off. Everyone wanted to learn Xcode and create their own iOS apps for iPhone. Uh, if you were a company that didn't have an iOS app, you were like lame and you you wanted one, right? And so there was like this huge thirst for finding iOS developers to create apps. And the idea was, okay, I'm going to get this site ranking for terms like iPhone app development companies and iPhone app development costs and iPhone app developers and, and things like that. And then basically sell the leads, right? Like sell the leads to to agencies or consultants that, that do this stuff. And I got the site live and ranking and generating traffic and generating leads and everything was working. And I just hated it. Like I, I, I just, <laughs> I hated the business, right? I wasn't motivated by it at all. And I would wake up on Saturday mornings and 
I couldn't get out of bed to work on it. I, I, I wasn't motivated by it at all. And so and it's really interesting. In Silicon Valley now, there's this trope going around. Some, some venture capitalists or, or angel investors or something, I think it's Mark Andreessen or, or, or someone similar, there's this like saying going around around markets. They, they say like, okay, markets are really important. I'd rather have a mediocre product and a mediocre team in a great market than a great product and a great team in a mediocre market. And like, I get that from the venture capitalist perspective, but I actually very much disagree with this in terms of small business and side projects and sort of small time entrepreneurship. Because, and the reason why is this, like whatever your milestone is, whether it's your first thousand dollars or first $10,000 or first hundred thousand dollars or first hundred users, whatever it is, you are the engine that has to drag this thing across the finish line, right? You're the one that has to do all the, all the work and like your own personal interest in this thing is far and away the most important thing, right? And so I found that that was a huge problem for me when I was working on stuff that I didn't like. Like it was a good opportunity. It started to generate revenue, but I hated it. And so it wouldn't move forward. I was one of these guys who I loved computer games as a kid and SEO became my computer game. I loved watching rankings go up on the dashboard. (laughs) I loved watching traffic. And I also loved teaching. I I really enjoy teaching. I taught at a graduate school in San Francisco. And so uh, when I was teaching SEO, it just felt like play to me. It just felt like a lot of fun to me. It didn't feel like work. And the original business was actually a terrible business. I was teaching in person on Saturday mornings. The economics made very little sense because I would do a revenue share with the co-working space. I would print out physical materials. I would buy the students lunch. And it really wasn't generating that much revenue. But I ended up being just the right place, right time with this kind of online course renaissance that we're in now. And I ended up turning my offline course into an online course. And then it ended up really taking off. But the, the more the, the broader point there was like, I wasn't as focused on the numbers and was more focused on like what I really enjoyed doing. And that was, that took me 15 ideas to get to. But once I got to it, it ended up being way easier in terms of my own personal interest in it. You know, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning, jumping out of bed and super excited to work on it. And the rest kind of took care of itself. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've heard a number of different people, you know, basically say the same thing around finding what you're passionate about, working your passion and, 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 and focus on, you know, developing an, you know, an excellent product or service and deliver it well and don't worry about the money. Yet when, you know, people are thinking about starting a business, often they're thinking about, hey, you know, how much money can I make? I can do this. I can 10 times my revenue. I can have the Ferrari like that guy in the Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) And really none of that's, you know, that none of that's true. I mean, there is the odd unicorn story, but there are even fewer than companies that last like your company that's that's been in business for, you know, more than five years. I mean, the numbers used to be 74% of new businesses fail within the first two years. Are you saying there aren't any Lambos for me on the other side of that Instagram post? Is that what's going on, Doug? Well, well no, I'm <laughs> saying that, that there could be. But if you start with that as a motivation, I mean, that motivation very quickly goes away. Like you said, you, you know, you're excited to get up in the morning. And that was my advice to my kids is my, you know, I've got three adult kids. And as they were trying to make criticisms, I said, find something that wakes you up 30 minutes before your alarm rings and do that. And hopefully someone will pay you. Oh, I love that. 
I, I might, I might have to steal that one from you. I might have to tweet that one out and <laughs> steal that one from you. <laughs> no problem. And my kid said, well, don't, aren't you disappointed that I don't want to do what you're doing? I said, no, I don't want you to do what I do. You have different gifts and talents than I do. Focus on what what gets you excited and, and go do that. I don't really care what it is as long as it's legal. Um, <laughs> and if it's not legal, don't tell me and then don't visit me. <laughs> because I, don't, I don't want to be part of that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're coming back saying, hey, find something you're passionate about. And the other thing I heard you say was it doesn't seem like work because you're having fun yeah there's this guy um i'm not sure if you're familiar with naval ravikant he's this like very prolific venture capitalist guy he's who's become more like a of a buddha in the tech world or something that talk, talks about a lot of philosophy and things like this but he has this saying where he says you know what should what's work to other people should feel like play to you and his point is that over a long enough time horizon you know, if you're working eight, 12, 16 hours a day, uh, and if two different people are working on the same project, eight or 12 or 16 hours a day, and for one of them, it's work, and for the other one, it's play, the person who it's play for is going to win every time over the long term. And that's sort of the the natural advantage. The world is so extreme now. Like, the, the world is becoming so extreme on both sides of the spectrum that you you have to continually be really, really good at what you do. And so there's, there's not only that, there's so many opportunities to be really good at it. So there just isn't, unfortunately, there just is getting less and less room to, to be mediocre. And the only way to not be mediocre is to love what you're doing. So I know it's cliche and it's kind of a hallmarky sort of moment, but it, it ended up working out for me. You know, but if you don't have that interest and that passion, then it becomes work. I mean, especially when you're creating content. So if you're trying to copy somebody else's uh, content, if you're trying to be like a Gary Vee in marketing and you're not interested in marketing, you're going to fail because it's going to look and sound fake. You're not going to be interested. You're not going to, you know, read and hang around with those people and go to those types of events that are going to give you energy and, and ideas. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, I totally agree. So if you could think back to, you know, when you were first getting started, what was the pivotal point that made you decide, okay, now's the time? You know, it's interesting because I really messed this up. I was at a point where, and, and a lot of people come at this from a lot of different angles. You know, the classic situation is like, I'm at my job. I don't like it. I want to create something for myself and go do it myself. And I want to leave this job as soon as possible. And they kind of do this like Excel sheet formula math, like, okay, what are my monthly expenses? What's my salary? What's my side project making? And where's the breaking point? Like, where can I reasonably leave? For me, I was in this very weird situation where I liked my job, right? I was at Airbnb at this pretty wild time. The first week I joined Airbnb, we were subpoenaed by the state of New York for our data. And the last week I was there, I worked on a Super Bowl ad and Beyonce was staying in an Airbnb, right? <laughs> like, you know, none of my friends had heard of it when I joined and everyone had heard That's of it funny. when I left. It was like 100 something employees when I joined and 2000 something employees when I left. So it was just like a wild time to be there. And it was like, it was literally rated the best company to work for in the U.S., while I was there by, by someone, a glass door or something. But it was just, it, I, I enjoyed it, right? And I had other stuff going on. Or I had my friends in San Francisco and um, I was dating someone. So I was in this weird situation where my side project ended up eclipsing my salary, but I didn't end up leaving until a few years after. I just didn't feel accomplished at work yet. I wasn't quite ready. But also the wounds from the old company were pretty fresh. Like I, I knew how bad it could go, you know? <laughs> and so uh, what ended up happening which is kind of interesting was I, I finally started to get ready to go and I ended up 
planning way too long for my exit. You know, I was starting to get a little sick of the city of San Francisco. I liked my job, but I was I was over the city and I started to plan this like great escape. You know, I wanted to become, you know, a <laughs> digital nomad. I wanted to be the guy, you know, on the other end of those Instagram posts where all those beautiful people in Bali are drinking from coconuts and things like that. Right. And like Yeah, that's cool. And and I was sort of planning it out and I actually gave myself too much time to plan. And what ended up happening was I set my expectations so high for how it was going to go that it ended up being miserable. I, so I ended up, you know, I did four years at Airbnb. I ended up leaving, packed up all my stuff in San Francisco, put my whole life into a backpack, and I went to go travel. I filmed the next version of the course. So we were just an SEO course at the time, and we kind of filmed like content for seven new courses. And I arrived in Bali. I had just paid for all this new content, on, put it on an external hard drive. And I'm like, okay, I made it. Like, I'm a digital nomad. I'm traveling. I'm going to work on my business. This is the greatest thing of all time. And I got there and it was miserable. I ended up, I was robbed by the police on my first day. <laughs> I was, I got, I got, welcome to yeah, town. Right? I got food poisoning and started like throwing up immediately. All the footage we'd filmed. There was raining really hard on the warehouse we had rented. And so all of the audio was shot. I paid $15,000 for all this new footage. And I thought it was all completely unusable. And so I'm sitting in Bali in the middle of Indonesia. It started pouring raining. I had just been robbed by the police. I was throwing up from food poisoning. I'm holding this this external hard drive with $15,000 worth of garbage footage that I couldn't use. And I'm just looking up the sky, thinking about like the unlimited breakfast, lunch, and dinner at Airbnb and like the, the, the beanbag chairs and the MacBooks. And I'm just like, <laughs> what am I doing? doing like why why am i here right that's funny and so it ended up you know i i'm i'm being a drama queen i'm kind of it wasn't that bad in in hindsight i ended up fixing a lot of the problems but the big problem i think i made was i set my expectations way too high for how it was going to go and i gave myself way too much time to plan so if you have people listening that are thinking about this i highly recommend you know, leaning more towards the side of pulling the trigger than giving yourself too much time to plan. I think it's good advice for a lot of things, uh, you know, as well as, you know, even your marketing material. So many, so many people, and I used to fall into this trap all the time, are so worried about it being perfect that it sits on their desk for, for days, weeks, or, or worse, years, and never gets out. So yes, just la launch and fix it. Yeah, for sure. I think there's so many fun, people would be like, absolutely shocked at the some of the stuff even at airbnb that we'd push out or or other massive companies like like facebook as well like big companies that that are that move really quick will push out stuff with a lot of bugs and errors into it because they're very they're sure. very cognizant of the fact that you can get stuck in a purgatory where you're trying to make it perfect and it never launches right so always leaning towards pulling the trigger especially if you're if you're new i used to teach at a university and we taught an internet marketing class and every student had to create a new site from scratch and the number of students that would come up to me being like i'm i want to publish this but i'm not ready yet because like this last paragraph needs fixing and it'd be like dude no one is going to your website like publish this now you have no <laughs> traffic if you if someone emails you and says there's a spelling mistake that is a great problem to have it means at least one person is looking at your at your site but yeah. i promise you the whole point of this exercise is to show you that nobody cares about you and no one is coming to your website that is the entire point yeah you're not going to be featured by on TechCrunch today so you're not going to crash <laughs> your servers you're going to be perfectly fine exactly exactly 
So I guess the other way to look at it is, is someone had mentioned to me once before, I think one of my guests was fail fast. Yeah. Yep. For sure. That's, that's your point. Get it out there, get the feedback. And, and especially in the website business or a lot of marketing people go, Hey, well, when's it going to be perfect? It's like, it's not, we need to launch and the launch is not the, not the end. The launch is the beginning. And now we learn where, you know, the weak points are and, and we can start working on stuff and making it work. For sure. And the other thing that people often forget as well, the Airbnb founders were, were always hilarious about this, about saying this, you can launch a bunch. <laughs> you can, Airbnb launched, quote unquote, three times. They would launch and then no one would notice. And then they would just go back into the cave and then launch again. And then no one would notice. And then they would just launch again. And, <laughs> and then eventually someone noticed, right? Like launching doesn't mean anything. You can just, if no one hears about it or sees you, just launch again later on, right? Yeah, turn up the volume, yeah. yeah. I mean, people do that all the time as authors writing books. They relaunch a book. They, you know, will rewrite enough of it that they can relaunch a new version. People do, I've heard a number of people do that on podcasts, trying to trying to get attention. They do a relaunch as well. So you're right, that's, uh, that's good advice. I had not thought about that in a while. Yeah, you can always, it's just a made up thing. Launch as much as you want, who cares? <laughs> So in terms of your plan moving forward, I mean, obviously, like you said, your business is growing and you your head down and you're, you're not working, you're enjoying what you're doing. What do you see? Uh, what do you see for yourself on the horizon in the next, you know, six to 12 months? Yeah. So now um, we focus on training up marketers and entrepreneurs on digital marketing. We train up teams on digital marketing. We're kind of trying to solve a lot of the corporate education problem now and small to medium sized business education problem now. We love what we do. We create a lot of templates and checklists and cheat sheets and worksheets for consultants and agencies that have clients and they, they turn those products, our products around and use them on their own clients. We're having a lot of fun doing that. I think the big sort of hairy problem we're looking at next that I don't know how to solve is university style education and entry level education. There's right now there's more than 50 universities in the United States that offer a master's degree in digital marketing. These degrees are garbage. They're pointless. They cost 40 to $100,000 a year. <laughs> Nobody in the internet marketing space would ever re reasonably look at them and credibly look at them. They're taught by universities that are completely unfit to be teaching this stuff. Internet marketers are always interesting. They always have interesting stories on how they learn. Most people are self-taught or you know, their boss asks them to do it at work and they fall into it in kind of a weird way. But universities are capitalizing on this. They're, they're manipulating young kids in their early 20s that, you know, to get a master's degree in social media. And it's completely pointless. And these kids would be much better off instead of taking out a $50,000 loan They'd be much better off, you know, taking some time off and watching free YouTube tutorials. They'd be much better off. Or go get a job as an intern at a company. Yeah, there are plenty of ways. Exactly. Starting their own site. There's lots of different ways to do it. So yeah. I think it's gross what these higher secondary institutions are doing. It's, it's morally gross. It's economically gross. They're bankrupting an entire generation of people. It's just, it, it makes me angry. It's also a massive business opportunity for anyone that wants to go after these guys. I know, I know our problems, our, you know, our secondary education problems in the US are probably much more profound than they are in Canada and, and a lot of other countries, but it's, it's a huge problem. And people are bankrupting their future to do it and they're getting tricked. And so I don't know yet how we're going to solve it. I've tried three different times with three different ideas to solve it and everyone has failed, but we're getting 
a little bit closer now uh, with ClickMinded. And there are other other uh, startups trying to do this now as well. Lambda School is my favorite one. They're, they're basically a, an engineering trade school. They came out of Y Combinator. The basic idea is uh, you go to Lambda School, you get a free education, and you don't pay until you get a job, right? And then they take a small portion of your salary for a couple of years, which is really cool. So there's like a bunch of sort of ideas that are trying to tackle this problem. I don't know how we're going to do it, but it's just, it's just, again, one of these things where like, it makes me mad in the middle of the night. It gets me up in the morning and uh, I'm just sort of following that for now. So I'm not really sure where, where it's going to go. Well, then I think that's your, that's your road. You got to fix that. I mean, I haven't been as agitated around the economic point side as I have the, the lack of um, real life experience often the instructors have. And so to that point, you know, I've said, Hey, you know, you can tell a lot about somebody by looking at their shoes. It was a, you know, I saw that in the Forrest Gump movie and I listened to people get up and talk about, hey, how to be a successful entrepreneur, internet marketing or SEO or email marketing. And I'm thinking, you know, that's that's a great presentation and the information is great, but you're not living it. It's not real information. Mm. And the reality is I've got nothing against public transit. But I mean, you took public transit here. You're not you're not making six figures. So quit telling people to follow your road because you don't have the experience. That's so true. I think the funniest example, and the uh, you can tell a lot of per, about a person by looking at their shoes, is a great metaphor for this. The funniest example with the universities, they print out physical textbooks to teach internet marketing. I can't. Yeah, how, I can't, how current I, is I can't that? even keep my blog posts updated. Like, what are these guys <laughs> doing? I mean, it's just it's such a scam. It's so obviously a scam. It's just gross. And so, yeah, those shoes are not dirty enough for me to trust these guys. That's a really good way to think about this. Well, maybe that's that's a new business opportunity. We could have real on-demand printing for the university. So what would happen is all the new, the latest, newest information AI would put it together, and then in the morning, the textbook would be reprinted on your desk with what's current today, not some it was current five years ago. There you go. There you go. So what advice would you give um, listeners uh, that are sitting back going, okay, so I've got some areas that I'm passionate about. I've got some areas that I have some knowledge about, and I'm not sure how to formulate this and put that into a course so I get my first digital product. So what's the first thing that they should consider doing? You mean in terms of jumping into a side project or creating an online course yeah. or or kind of either? Well, creating an online course or creating a digital product, whether it's an, a side hustle or whether it's going to be a full-time thing. So you've got, you know, I've heard a number of speakers say, hey, you know, take your, your knowledge you've got and create a digital product and launch that. And then that sounds really good. Then it comes down to, you know, putting pen to paper. What's the first step they need to take to make that happen? Right, right. Yeah, really good question, Doug. So my advice here is very counterintuitive. I went about my, and my, this is kind of the story of my life. I went about this so slowly and I went about it not because I was smart, but, but because this is just sort of how it ended up happening and it ended up working out for me. So I started offline and, I, and it wasn't because I was intentionally doing that. It was more because the online course sort of space in 2011, 2012 wasn't as big and wasn't as intuitive. But what ended up happening was was this. I I started offline and I ended up learning a lot. And actually, the first way I got started was with Meetup. I still think today, if you have an idea and you're kind of thinking about different side projects, meetup.com is one of the most underrated channels for new users because it's the single fastest way to bootstrap an email list. So even today, meetup.com, I think it's $15 a month to set up a meetup group as an organizer. And what I ended up doing was I ended up setting up the San Francisco SEO meetup. 
and it was $15. Meetup immediately emails everyone on meetup.com in that area that's interested in that subject. And they ended up sending, they ended up sending an invite to your group. So for $15 within two or three days, I had my first hundred users. I ended up, I, I ended up. <laughs> okay. So let's stop there for a sec. So for $15, so it's affordable. You had your first hundred users. Yes. And within two or three days. That's amazing. Pretty nuts. Right. And so I ended up hosting one happy hour. I picked a bar in San Francisco on a Thursday night. I called them up ahead. I had time and said, Hey, can I 20 or 30 people? Is that cool? A bunch of people came. I think maybe I held one more happy hour. The meetup list grew to 150 or 200 or something like that. And then I suddenly had 150 something people in San Francisco that were interested in SEO. They were members of the San Francisco SEO meetup. I ended up using them as my first class that I ended up teaching. Now, one thing to keep in mind, if you do this, the flake rates on meetup are very high. Everyone joins meetups and then they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't show up. Right. So my one suggestion is to do what I did, which is you have an event, you put a price tag on it and then you offer free tickets to it. So you don't say I'm hosting a free SEO course. You say I'm hosting an SEO course. It's $500 per user, but I have 20 free tickets. Email me if you want one. That will move your attendance rate up from about 30% to about 70%. Can be really helpful there. I ended up using that, I kind of taught that course to those individual users, made the product way better and way better and way better, and then ended up turning it into my actual offline business and then ended up putting it online. So this is the, the really roundabout way of saying that by starting offline, I ended up improving the product way more than I than I initially could have. All the people I was competing with, I started on Udemy, an online course marketplace. And when I looked at some of these courses, it was all guys in their basement talking into their laptops over PowerPoint slides and talking into their Excel docs. And when I was offline, you see right away, you get, when you start online, you don't get feedback until someone gives you a one-star review, right? But when, when <laughs> yeah, you start yeah. offline, you see it in people's faces, right? You, you use an analogy to teach or you, you lay a joke somewhere and like you, you say, oh, that didn't work or that really worked or that was great. I'm going to do more of that. And so by the time I created my online course, it was like I had already done done it 15 times offline. And so the, the V1 of my online product was was kind of like, you know, fifth generation already. And so I highly recommend, even though it doesn't scale and it takes way more work, I actually highly recommend starting offline because you also end up face-to-face -face with your users and you figure out what their problems are. You figure out, what, you know, what their actual issues are. Internet marketers hate leaving their basement <laughs> and they'll, they're they're, they'd be much happier sending <laughs> 10,000 emails than they would getting on the phone or going out into the real world. And so yeah, if you yeah. go out into the real world, there's this natural moat where like 99% of people aren't willing to do that. And so I ended up going out into the real world first, figure, you know, hanging out with my actual customers and then turning that all into an online product. And from there, it ended up taking off. That's really cool. I mean, what I didn't hear you say was I wrote a business plan. I built a website. I set up all my social media. Now, I'm not saying those things don't come after, but I launched a business in the U.S., my first business in the U.S. And I ran it for a year with no website, no business cards, just my phone number. I love that. Just because I wanted to see if it was possible because I hear people say, oh, I have to have a website or I have to revise my website. I'm saying, no, you need sales. You don't need to revise your website. What you need to do is sell some stuff. Exactly. I, I love this, Doug, because I have so many friends like this too. This is all, have you ever heard this term wantrepreneur or wantrepreneurship? Yeah. Yeah. This is all the resistance, the logo, 
the business cards, whether or not you're incorporated, where you're incorporated. Yeah, even a site in some cases, right? I could have easily launched this whole product just on Udemy with with no site. I um, our logo, our logo I generated in 2 minutes in 2012 and it has not changed. I don't have business cards. <laughs> uh, I was not an official company until the first year. All that stuff. Yeah, none of that, yeah. none of that was all of that is the resistance. It's like it's the sexy stuff that everyone wants to do, but it's not the actual work. And you can do those things after, I mean, you know, you start thinking, well, this thing's going to be really big and really huge. And, you know, it should be set up in an offshore corporation. And then you realize it takes a hundred grand to set up an offshore corporation. So go make a few million dollars first. <laughs> right. And then, and then if you, that's what you really want to do is go live, uh, you know, live as an expat someplace else with an offshore corporation, then set it up. But don't start there because people might not like what you're selling. So I love your idea. So, you know, if you're working in a job and you wanted to have a side hustle, it'd take you, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to set up a meetup group if you're not computer literate? Yeah, a meetup group would take, yeah, about 20 minutes, $15. And then from there, you could really figure out who your customers are and what their problems are. That's super cool. And what I haven't heard you say at all during our conversation was, you, know, you haven't spent a lot of time talking about growing your business in terms of a sales dollar amount. So you're more interested in helping people and by helping people and serving people and teaching people, um, obviously you're compensated, which is, which is meeting your needs. Yeah, that's another really interesting point, especially people that are sort of just starting this, this sort of journey. The, the big mistake a lot of people make is they say, okay, you know, think about how great this is going to be for me in my life when I get this business going. And the reality is the first couple years, you're mostly in the business of like getting your ass kicked, right? <laughs> and like you're, you, you, yeah, ha you yeah. have to be salt and trying to keep your nose above water. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm yeah. basically an expert at getting punched in the face over and over and over again. That's that, that's kind of the first and, and getting up yeah, and getting up and getting up. And, but you're in the business of solving other people's problems and you need to be mostly focused on that. And then as you continue to solve people's problems, you eventually get to these points where you can take a little bit off the table. But I just see so many people where the whole business is in the context of how it's going to improve their life. And it's just like, I really don't don't like your odds here because your customers don't care about about your life and how great it is. They want their problems solved. And that's the that's sort of the impetus for for where you need to be starting from. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I remember looking back at my school annual, I said, hey, I would never get married, never have kids, and I'd be a millionaire by the time I was 20. So I wasn't a millionaire by the time I was 20, but I am married. I have three kids. I have three grandkids. But I remember the first time I realized that I actually, the company had been making a bunch of money. I'd been working away. I'd hired a few staff. And I didn't normally open up all the financial papers. I had a girl in the office that did that. And I opened up the bank statement and I looked and I realized that on my US account, I had a million dollars cash. I went, holy crap, we're making lots of money. But it wasn't a goal, so I wasn't monitoring it every day. And it was kind of an aha moment. It's like, okay, I guess I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be talking to people and, 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 and making hay, but not looking at the dollar. Then it's like, okay, now we need to do something because that's a really bad place to leave your money sitting in the bank. Mm. But that was, um, that was an end result. So I don't know how long it had taken us to get there, but one day I opened it up, went, yeah, there's a decimal place. I like that where it is. <laughs> right. And you, but you were focusing on your users and the rest just kind of fell into place. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I think that's what makes uh, people successful. I think the guys that are super successful, the guys that are working hard uh, to serve their customers and to be, you know, to be different and deliver excellent service like you're talking about. 
So in your space, in terms of online training, um, let's take the universities out of this question. <laughs> what other bad advice do you hear about people that are in the um, online space in terms of online training and teaching? In terms of digital marketing or just, just teaching like online courses in general or? Just, just online courses in general. Interesting. Bad advice on it. So, I mean, there's a lot of different online course sort of angles you can take. There's internal training, there's external training, right? I really do like the idea of starting really quick, um, starting offline and then pivoting, pivoting it to um, an online version. I guess I do one, one bad piece of advice is people go for really, really, really high production value as a, as a V1, as a first version. Yep. And I just don't think that's necessary. I think that, you know, you can do the, just your laptop in a quiet room sort of online course as a V1. But, but even before that, I still highly recommend getting offline because it just puts you in an entirely different mode and attitude of solving your own users questions. So just a lot of people, they want to go super high production value first version of the course without having ever talked to any of their customers. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. The reality is if you go offline first and you make a fairly crappy V1 that but it's solving the user's problems, it's just a really fast way to both solve users problems and have a good starting point to improve from there. Good advice. I've just uh, been working through a course myself and the decision was to not launch online um, as a course, but was to do an online launch and do it live and uh, have have someone monitor and get the feedback and have the discussion. So make it more of an interactive training because people are different places around the world. We can't come together, but do it online before it's crapped. And so we have a chance to get, like you said, some feedback and, hey, I like that. I don't like that. I don't understand this. No, that's not funny. This makes sense. And then, then you can go to V2 and then maybe find some people to buy it. Mm, yeah, I really like that. So a couple questions for you. Who's one guest you think I absolutely have to have on my podcast? Interesting. Somebody that's at least as good as you. <laughs> and plenty of people are much better than me. I would recommend you talk to Dan Andrews from the Tropical MBA. I don't know if you know that podcast, but they are, uh, it's kind of like an internet entrepreneur remote business podcast. They also run a, uh, an entrepreneurship group called Dynamite Circle. Dan Andrews is, he's definitely a mentor of mine and very big in kind of the internet business space. And where's the best place for uh, people to connect with you? Yeah, you can find us at clickminded.com. Excellent. And I have been through, um, I've been through the website and I've had a chance to look at Tommy's uh, social media as well. So all the links are there on his website. So I would, listeners, I'd encourage you to head over there. I went over and I did, I did sign up because I typically do this to see uh, what the response is like with the various guests. So I'm happy to see um, how he's got his business set up and structured. Uh, so head over there if you're looking for some training and you want to connect with him on a deeper level. So I just want to say thanks so much for taking time to today to share your journey and and just be real straight with us on you know how it worked the good the bad and the ugly yeah doug thanks so much for having me on the show i really appreciate it so thanks for tuning in listeners i hope you enjoyed this episode uh, don't be shy to send us a note or to make sure you reach out to tommy and tell him hey i love your i love your episode uh we'll make sure that the show notes are set up and this episode is transcribed we'll make sure all the links to uh tommy and his website are there for you to access once this episode is live so thanks for tuning in and we look forward to serving you on our next episode that's all for this episode of real marketing real fast now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode that's dougmorneau.com until next time
We look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.